The Operations Leadership Podcast with Gautam Basu provides insights for today's business leaders on creating value through operations improvement, process excellence, digital innovation, and organizational leadership. Our guest for this episode of the podcast is Dr. Amelia Elizabeth Lati. She is an author, speaker, and trainer who pioneered the research on the Finnish construct known as Sisu, which is all about courage, determination, and fortitude in the face of adversity. This is a useful skill for all global operations and business leaders. And she recently published a book called Gentle Power, which is around the higher octane version of Sisu. So we hope you enjoy this conversation. And if you like what you're hearing, please hit the subscribe button. Enjoy. Welcome, Elizabeth, to the Operations Leadership Podcast. You are primarily known for pioneering the research on the ancient Finnish construct of Sisu, which denotes determination and fortitude in the face of extreme adversity. Could you tell us a little bit more about this unique concept and how you stumbled upon it back in 2012 when you began to research it? Mm, thank you so much. And it's really an honor to be here uh, to have this conversation. Yeah, I think um, the onset for this research was kind of similar to what usually some of the best ideas or most needed inventions maybe are. So it came from an actual necessity. So I was going through my own personal tragedy at the time, and I really needed to understand how humans overcome extreme adversity. And that was really one of the guiding questions I had in the beginning was, where do we unearth this strength? Who overcomes? Who survives? And who doesn't? And what can we maybe learn from those people who have been able to endure and who haven't? I mean, after all, adversities are everywhere. No one can really avoid them. So I was also curious that whether there's a way to even learn to harness adversity for some kind of growth, of course, with enough time and enough resources and those. So that was the beginning point for my journey. And it just really has taken me on a great adventure as I've been learning about myself and I've been managed, uh, I managed to find um, new grounding for my own feet and then produce research as I've gone along the way. So When Sisu came to my mind was I was visiting the University of Pennsylvania and I had just gone through this career transition and I left the previous job that I'd had for a very long time, the service of the um, the Finnish uh, foreign uh, service. So I was in New York uh, working for the Finnish consulate and I felt this deep inner imperative to do something um, to have more meaning for the work that I was doing. And I went to visit the University of Pennsylvania to decide whether I would apply for their Master's in Applied Positive Psychology program that was founded by Martin Seligman uh, quite a while back. And serendipitously, I happened to stumble into a lecture hall where Angela Duckworth, uh, this very well-known researcher of grit, which is passion and perseverance for a long-term goal. So it's a sister concept of Sisu, but not the same thing. And she was speaking of grit and I was sitting at the back uh, back of the room, kind of trying to hide there. It was full of undergrads. Um, I'm not even sure if I was supposed to be in that room or not, uh, but I snuck in. And her lecture made me think of Sisu, this concept from my own native land, 
And um, and a sisu is something that most Finns we know about it, um, but it's kind of like the air that we breathe. So it's part of our daily routines. And back in the day, what I noticed was that there was no research to describe what sisu is. Uh, there was no peer-reviewed articles. Um, books existed, but they were more based on personal anecdotes and stories of sisu. So I became very curious to ask the questions that, what is Sisu? Um, is it just a myth? Does it even exist? Is it a story that Finnish people tell? And then if it does, is it something that could benefit people in their ordinary lives uh, when we face adversity and trouble? Uh, what application could it could, applications could it have, for example, for leadership and all these things that really influence our lives? So that became um, the beginning for first doing a master's um, at Applied Positive Psychology, doing my first um, the graduate work under the supervision of Angela Duckworth, actually. So I had a great luck. We became, um, uh, she offered to advise it and she really made a huge contribution to my life by being such a beautiful um, example of leadership uh, and taking action. And eventually the road led me to work on a PhD on the topic. So I really decided to go all the way. And I have to say that it required me to do so because even though the word itself might look very modest, four letters, S-I-S-U, but it really hides a world within it. And especially when we take Sisu as this, as you said so well, that it's determination and this fortitude in the face of extreme adversity. So it really becomes alive in those lived moments when it becomes much more than a concept and an idea, but where our life might depend on our ability to dig deep and ground into this, what I could also call the fire in the belly the able to ability to be really dogged and we all have this capacity so it is akin to life force it is that something that will not let us perish and die and this place and this time where the world is right now it almost to me sometimes feels like we're in this collective empirical experiment of sisu where these events really touch everyone in in some way or the other and yeah I'm very curious to see how CISO can be applied to daily life. Um, and yeah, mm. I think that's a good little beginning part for CISO. Yeah. yeah, and speaking about the application, I actually witnessed your doctoral defense here at Alto University. And uh, you had a little uh, incident there uh, <laughs> that kind of, uh, for normal people, I guess that would throw them off. So could you tell us a little bit about what happened kind of midway through your defense uh, at your doctoral uh yeah yeah well well i consider myself a normal person but i think i've had the luck to really practice my sisu and that tells about this quality of sisu that is something that we can train so i've been really living and breathing this concept throughout the the research that i did which involved quite a lot of things um, um i pretty much i'll get back to your question i'm going to do a little diversion here but uh uh, one of the ways how I decided to go into Sisu, because I realized that just doing a survey, even though it gave a beautiful foundation for mapping the construct where we didn't have any pre-existing really information what it is, so it laid a foundation. But then I pretty soon realized that to really go inside the fibers of this elusive concept, I need to somehow go deeper. And 
it was pretty hard to design um, an experiment where you would impose people in a situation where they have to tap into their sisu. I wonder if you would even get a, a review board uh, approval for such an exam to put people in a burning house or, or something like that. And, um, and so I decided to use myself, become the laboratory of one. And I uh, used autoethnography as my research framework and phenomenology. And I approached this topic through my own life. So one of the field experiments that I designed was to run the length of New Zealand. And I trained for it for two years. I was not an ultra runner before that. So that in itself was truly a test of Sisu. And it was my wish that when I put myself in a situation like that, that it will strip me so bare from all these preconceptions of myself and ego and, and these things that we put on that I could see more of myself and how do I perform in, in a situation of high pressure and extreme um, um, where I have to respond, where I feel like I have nothing left. And that's really one of the essences of Sisu, that when we feel we have nothing left to give, and yet we stay with the task, we find that there's almost this uh, extra power engine or some kind of a fuel tank that activates. That's really the core of Sisu. And another thing was I went to study Kung Fu in China to impose another kind of a set of challenges to myself. So I had been doing all these things. So by the time I got to the doctoral defense, and this very surprising thing happened with the fire alarm went off, uh, maybe an hour into the defense, um, I was kind of prepared for anything. And I have to say, to thank my beautiful um, supervisor, Esa Saarinen from Aalto University, who prepared me and said that one of the principles he gave me was, no matter what happens, you know, stay cool. And that was on my mind. And it also speaks to this quality of Sisu that we can help each other cultivate that through leading by example, showing a positive example and such. So deep down inside, I have to say that I was almost a little bit uh, I thought like, yeah, thanks for giving that. Um, it felt like that I could show and, and embody that CISO that I had been training so that it's not only in my concepts and in my, in my research paper, but how do I really act when the situation calls for it? And that's the ultimate, the pinnacle where we are called to move. And that's a lifelong journey. And, uh, as much as I succeed, I take a step backwards sometimes and I, um, fall on my face, but that's just to give information where I need to work on myself and, and go gently with that path too. Mm. Yeah. Witnessing it was uh, pretty impressive. I <laughs> don't know uh, how I would have done in the same circumstance. So kudos for, for handling that so, so wonderfully. Mm. Um, how you describe Sisu, it almost sounds too good to be true, mm. but I'm just curious, um, you know, what are the kind of downsides of Sisu? Um, I, I, we kind of understand that uh, fortitude, uh, you know, in the face of extreme adversity, that's a good thing. Mm -hmm. But have you in your research, have you noticed any of the, let's say, downsides of this uh, trait, Sisu? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's a really great and an important question. Um, there, there are no miracle drugs and certainly Sisu is not one. Um, whenever I speak of Sisu, when I give lectures or, or talks, I always bring out the side that just as much as Sisu can be this really powerful engine, just like a rocket engine that pushes uh, the rocket uh, above the Earth's um, 
orbit or the Earth's uh, atmosphere. Um, there's a huge amount of power there. At the same time, CISO can become the thing that leads us to failure if we don't know how to use it correctly or if we use it too much, maybe for extended periods of time. So just like the rocket, it has to drop that uh, engine that gets it through that really, really tough period. So CISO is a place where we visit. It's not a place to spend all our times because it is consuming. Uh, one could even say that you, when we are dealing with those super extreme moments, we borrow CISO from our bodies because it is an embodied quality. Um, I don't know if you knew, but the word CISO comes from the uh, originally from the word CISUS, which means the interior or the insides. So it um, denotes this kind of, a, it could be translated as guts, quite guts, literally. Right. And so when we take it out, we must also put it back so that we we don't over consume ourselves and deplete ourselves. And um, when I was doing the initial research on Sisu, uh, the survey that I made, I had over a thousand people who responded and I did a thematic analysis on this. And one of the clear um, findings was that Sisu is not only a positive quality, and I think for a lot of Finns, it's pretty self-evident. We know that. But I saw that there was a difference between the respondents who were Finnish-Americans, who knew what CISU was, and they also responded. Um, to them, CISU often displayed as nearly only a positive quality. Um, but there are three types of harm that CISU can cause. And one of them is harm to the person himself, herself, where if we press or you use, we use too much Sisu, we are in danger of um, over-consuming ourselves, ending into with a burnout, uh, getting into accidents. We take risks that are foolhardy, they're foolish. Mm. Um, so with everything, there needs to be a balance. Um, secondly, and I think this is always worth highlighting, is that there's harm to our environment when we expand or express too much Sisu. We might become merciless to other people because if we have a lot of sisu and we don't cultivate it in a way that makes it a balanced quality, uh, we are in risk of imposing those very harsh standards that have led us to um, achieve what we wanted. And we expect everyone else to perform the same way. So we forget the human element and uh, we are in risk of jeopardizing psychological safety. We break the trust and people just don't work like that. No one wants to be pushed and forced into their best and especially when we are going through tough things. Um, there was some of the um, responses that I saw. One of them said that people with too much Sisu, they are really difficult to work with in teams. So in leadership, um, those leaders who express this kind of harsh Sisu and it's too much, they really actually risk the performance of the team. So again, Sisu can be this quality that can push and help us to achieve our most incredible uh, performance. And it can also be the one that uh, leads us to not getting there. So I speak of the shadow of Sisu as well. And then the third thing is... Um, when Sisu is not also based on, in reason, in our capacity to stay open to the environment and constantly um, feel and see what is happening and attuning to it, we risk becoming really stubborn. So it will impair our decision making. 
and we will end up going almost like in this um, with having um, blinders. Uh, blinders, exactly. Yeah. Thank you. Um, so Sisu is something to kind of take very seriously in that sense that um, when we spend enough time and we commit to this path of Sisu to cultivate leadership through that, it can help us develop excellence in whatever we do. But also if we don't do that and we simply blindly go into it, we risk causing harm. So it is a path to follow and um, I am, yeah, it's a lifelong task really for mm. anyone who goes on it. So there has to be an equilibrium yes. in terms of the bad or the downsides of Sisu and the mm. positive, yeah. if I understood you correctly. Um, great. Uh, as this is a operations leadership podcast, mm -hmm. we talk a lot about uh, operations management and specifically supply chain management. Um, maybe you're aware uh, that there has been, let's say, some disruptions or some difficulties or challenges facing global supply chains and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, especially around disruptions, whether mm -hmm. it's the geopolitical conflict in the Ukraine that's currently going on, um, the economy, uh, inflation, uh, regulatory uh, legal environment, so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. So um, how would you say Sisu is relevant to operations leaders um, and how can they use Sisu to kind of push their organizations and self-leadership, mm -hmm. organizational leadership? Do you have any kind of advice mm -hmm. or recommendations for these mm -hmm. operational leaders based on what's going on? Yeah. So considering that supply chains are really what either make or break a business or any system for that matter. And then when uh, we are in time of disruption like we are and the chaos, of course, this becomes even more demanding and challenging. So one is the leader and the person experiencing that and making the calls is required to work under extreme pressure sometimes. And our, our decision making, our skills, our leadership is really becomes under um, a test. And Sisu is about performing under pressure. So this really is the domain of CISU to understand that. And, and as we know, and as we've discussed too, that the uh, intertemporal time horizons with leadership. So we have um, strategy, uh, we have tactics, strategy being the long term, one year to five years, if I've understood correctly, tactical up to like around year and a half. One could say that these are kind of the domain of grit, which is if one wants to make a comparison like this. So grit is putting the day in, the, the hard work in, day in, day out, having a goal that um, has been set and then taking all the required action to actually get there. So it's a longer time span. Um, when we get to the point of operational leadership, which is the immediate action, sometimes extremely immediate, especially when a system has been disrupted. So then we have to be able to make decisions quickly, have a clear mind, have a very sharp focus. And now we are really entering the zone and the space of Sisu. And there's a Canadian uh, or was a Canadian social psychologist called Elliot Jacques, and he wrote that uh, just like people defer in their intelligence, they defer in their um, time span and the ability to endure uh, longer and shorter time spans. He called it uh, time span discretion, if I remember it correctly. And in the same way, um, some leaders might be really good with this longer time span, um, the strategic, the tactical. And then when they get into the point where 
the pressure is extremely high, they might not perform so well. So in those situations, we really get, um, we benefit from cultivating this ability for SISU because it, it does test us. That's why I'm not so afraid of adversities anymore because I kind of from my own background with a bit of martial arts, I like to think of the whole world as a dojo. And that invites curiosity to what I do. Uh, it allows me to witness the people that I work with, the adversities, anything that comes my way, uh, events, failures, triumphs, as something that I can learn from. And especially the, the adversities, which shake me a little bit and, and rock my focus. Um, it's nothing to be sad about, you know, or disappointed with myself. It simply gives me data and information that, okay, that's where I have a bit of a soft spot or a weak spot. Um, maybe I need to slow down. Maybe I need to bring in more of my breathing um, practices or something. And that's one of the way to develop Sisu, you know, to really preempt these, um, these disruptions and these situations. So um, I might even say that for operational excellence, one must have Sisu. And then because these supply chains, I mean, they are run by humans. So, so ultimately, um, our, our excellence in operational leadership, that is what really breaks or makes uh, these supply chains and, um, mm. and operational leadership. Yeah, it's, it's very interesting how you mentioned the strategic, tactical, and mm. operational execution timelines, because I think that's the kind of the bridge between mm -hmm. this construct of SISU yeah. and uh, operations management, especially operations leadership. So mm. I, I find that very interesting. You also mentioned about the, the martial arts, which we kind of share uh, uh, a love for as well. So it's, it's really interesting. And I think that's, that's something that all operational leaders can kind of take away from mm -hmm. this, 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 uh, discussion. Um, you wrote a book, uh, Gentle Power, mm -hmm. and, uh, it will be out in January 24th. Yeah. And, uh, this is really kind of the continuation of your research on Sisu. And, uh, could you tell us a little bit more about this concept of gentle power mm -hmm. and what are the benefits of leveraging gentle power and how it might kind of differ or be very similar to this construct of Sisu? Mm, yeah. So gentle power is the high expression of Sisu. So it answers or invites a question, not just what we do, but it's about how we do what we do. And the vantage point where I am and what I'm, how I'm looking at the world, um, I'm always looking for applications. And when I've seen myself uh, use Sisu and when I witness Sisu around me and being very aware of the um, potential upsides and the benefits of Sisu and also seeing the possible downsides and understanding that what I also spoke about in my dissertation a lot, that Sisu needs to be grounded into a practice that allows it to transmute or be used in a way that is beneficial, is constructive, especially on the long term. Because there's always a cost when we we go to the red zone and we, we burn ourselves or the people around us. So gentle power is first and foremost an invitation for that. And currently, um, we are in a place where we do have a lot of research. We understand uh, and know from research the benefits of compassionate leadership. Uh, we know that it influences the, the company turnover. Um, people have 
less less sick leaves. Um, there's even been a correlation or contact, uh, a connection to um, employee health in terms of heart disease. Um, and when people do better, when we have taken care of psychological safety, we know that that is connected to innovation, it's creativity. Um, Harvard researcher Amy, um, Amy Edmondson, uh, she's a really wonderful person to look into. So she's been pioneering the research on psychological safety for a long time now. And she says that um, she been she I think I believe he, she began her research with researching medical errors. And what she found was that um, those errors happened when there was not enough trust in teams or there was a fear of expressing that something might be wrong. So anytime in a boardroom, uh, when the kind of space has been ex um, created where psychological safety isn't present, uh, people might not express what they uh, would want to share. And that can lead to all kinds of uh, troubles. Thinking of pilots, for example, they've been mm. researching the black boxes. Right. Mm, so that's a very classic example. So uh, gentle power is not just something great, nice to have. It's really, it's a necessity because of just how evolutionarily the human brain has developed. And uh, when we experience trust and what pa Barbara Fredrickson has researched in positive emotions, we are actually able to ex um, express or get in touch with more of our cognitive abilities when we are feeling relaxed instead of being tense and afraid. So gentle power is an invitation to start developing Sisu in a positive way uh, in our daily lives and in our leadership and in this, in this book. Um, I do really speak of leadership in terms of everyday leadership as well, um, that it's not just for a selected group of people, um, but it's for every single human because we all lead when we come to a space and we have an impact whether we want it or not. And I think now or ever really is the time to acknowledge that and have these conversations about what is power. To some people, it's a very scary word. But at the same time, if we are not aware of it, if we're afraid of it, um, someone will take it and use it for us. So the book is also an invitation to have those difficult conversations um, within ourselves and then also expand that, expand that to a broader um, kind of um, domain. Mm. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting because, uh, you know, when you think about the word or the words gentle power, Mm. Um, can it, can it be misconstrued or taken as weakness or passivity, passivity, especially in the business world where, you know, it's, you have, let's say earnings mm. and, uh, there's deadlines and people push, um, you know, to get things done. Mm. So how do you see, you know, specifically in the business world, um, you know, where gentle power could be kind of misunderstood to be mm. kind of weak or mm. passive. Mm. What do you say about that? Yes, um, it can be and it sure has been misconstrued as weakness or passivity, which is a grave mistake. Simply just based on this sheer amount of research that really already has hit the shore of our understanding of what the benefits are to combining what in the Eastern tradition could be called the yin and the yang, 
So yin being the soft side, um, the softer skills of communication, uh, the psychological safety, all these things that we bring, which is a human element, because we're not only leading supply chains as these uh, <clears throat> um, abstract uh, concepts or systems, but they all involve humans. So be, bringing gentle power is bringing in the human to the element. Um, and the yang side, uh, which is the tough, the hard. So the invitation is to bring both of those two. There's a French philosopher, um, was called Anne Dufour-Montel, who I mentioned in the book as well. And she said beautifully that gentleness invites an expanded present. And to me, that denotes this kind of idea that when we are relaxed and we can be extremely tough and high performing, but keeping that relaxed body, like in martial arts, the invitation is to all at all times have the body be relaxed. And then the, the performance actually comes almost through you, the energy. But if you're, if the person is tense, the energy doesn't move. So the same principle could be seen to apply to this um, domain and this idea of gentle power that when we are relaxed, we're able to literally perceive uh, we have a wider vision field uh, based on some research with Fredrickson on soccer players. So there's huge benefit to learning um, to stay soft. Um, and there's an invitation also to have a conversation where around these that why do we feel such an aversion toward softness, uh, kindness, uh, love where these things are the base elements of all human life. Everything is, at the end of the day, enveloped in those topics. And it is truly, if um, I would say that it's a sign of intelligence, sign of uh, maturity, um, to not be afraid of either these concepts, not the gentleness, not the power, but really bring them together. And I do remember an anecdote from the time when I was in China studying Kung Fu, which was part of the research uh, and just part of my own personal practice too. And I saw some of these teachers who were there, really hard-faced men, um, warrior monks in generations and generations. And the ones out of all those teachers who were, I would say, the most skilled or um, mature or how would I say, uh, most accomplished, were the ones that they also had this undertone of softness and friendliness and this mm, a bit of a humor all the time they didn't need to try to push themselves or prove themselves and to me that spoke a lot about this power of gentleness mm -hmm. as well yeah it's interesting it reminds me of kind of what uh, bruce lee used to say about you know the water mm. analogy because uh, if you're if you're too hard you'll become brittle and you break yeah and so being kind of flowy uh, like water, mm. um, it's good. Uh, so I, I, I do understand that, and it's it's very interesting that you mentioned uh, these mm. these concepts. Um, so maybe moving on, uh, you know, gentle power sounds really interesting. So what are some tangible steps uh, where one can harness their own gentle power? Mm -hmm. I get uh, I get this question often, uh, and also in terms of sisu, and. What I want to contribute maybe in this moment is to simplify it and just bringing the awareness to the idea that, um, so there's so much knowledge right now, all the information is out there. We basically don't need more research on how to uh, grow, how to mature, how to develop 
metacognitive skills, you know, and all these. So it really comes down to execution. So I know that you operations. have operations. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes. And um and I know that you have uh, decades of experience in martial arts. Yep. So this would resonate with you because uh, the only way to get any results or habit change or growth is through relentless, committed, consistent practice. So this book, book first and foremost, really after it invites a conversation around these topics of gentleness and power. Um, at the end of the book, there is an invitation to form a daily practice because we can listen to hundreds of hours, endless of hours of podcasts, uh, devour books, do PhD research or um, learn about these matters. If we don't put them to action, nothing will change. This book will not help and, and neither does anything else. So the, ta the tangible step toward developing gentle power is number one is to um, find the information to understand and see if it is for you. You know, I would say that gentle power is required by everyone, but not everyone will be willing to do it because it will require um, inner work. It's not going to be easy. Um, and then when the goal has been set, then establish a daily practice and really commit to it. And this doesn't need to be anything super difficult. On the contrary, it needs to be something that is um, specific to the individual. It can be a simple, I would say, even if we choose a simple thing as learning how to breathe, which might be a surprising um, um, answer to this part to some. But when we're able to calm down our nervous system, tap into that parasympathetic nervous system, which is our rest and digest, which again opens that expanded uh, presence. Um, it allows us to use our cognitive skills when we come from that place of rest and ease. We make better decisions. We are able to stay present and focus under extreme pressure. So this is very key to Sisu, being able to uh, have emotion regulation and and thus also be able to discern, uh, not move too fast, stay calm. That was the key to me, uh, not getting upset and not losing my track with the doctoral defense when we did have to evacuate from the building and uh, go outside and um, place my laptop there, reconnect again, and then just connect from where we were uh, left. And the only way for me to do that was that I practice meditation. I practice breathing. So I'm constantly looking ways to hardwire my body for gentle power. So if that's the path, then really committing to the practice of it. Um, and there really is no shortcut in that sense. And while saying this, uh, it's important to remember to be gentle with oneself as well, because it's truly a, a lifelong process to learn these skills. As I saw from the um, Kung Fu masters in China and my um, Aikido teacher, for example. So it's not something we do for a short time, but remaining persistent and patient and, and gentle to ourselves and yet, um, yeah, tapping into both mm. the, the yin and the yang in us. Yeah. No, it's really interesting because I, I, Definitely resonate with your uh, with your uh, uh, views on the daily practice because you know 
as you said, listening to podcasts, reading books, uh, it's in a way a form of procrastination in the sense that, uh, yeah, actually doing it, applying it practically to your daily life. And you mentioned breath work and meditation, which is kind of, uh, you know, maybe considered woo-woo in in certain circles of the hardcore business world. But at the end of the day, being a practitioner myself, they they do work because uh, Mm -hmm. I think you alluded to it that, you know, through relaxation, you will gain power. And this is Mm -hmm. any martial artist, any combat sports uh, athlete will Mm -hmm. will agree that if you're relaxed uh, in there, you're moving, you're flowing, um, that's where the true power comes. Uh, Mm -hmm. So I I definitely agree with that. you write in your book that the gentle power is the future of leadership. Um, so what do you mean by this and why is it so crucial? Mm. Yeah, that's um, I would say that we are past a point where Sisu or gentle power, gentle power as the invitation to do the work to balance our the soft and the hard, uh, to do the work, to have the conversations around power, what it is to develop operational excellence and these things. We're past the point that it's a nice thing to have. It's a necessity. We need it. Our world needs it. Um, and it's an invitation to us as humans to really start to consciously develop what's best in us. There's um, in this book cover, um, I do love that we use the uh, Japanese idea of kintsugi or kintsugoroi, I think it's another word. So there's a little gold here in the seams. And that's a metaphor for gentle power as well, that we may have broken systems, uh, leadership to some extent, uh, and we can see the results of it now in this time and age. And so when we take what's the most precious in us, which is our willingness to commit to long-term processes and progress with ourselves, um, even though it's going to be tough at times. um, And we are willing to also keep our heart open, if one might say so. And heart, that is the expanded present, what Andrew Fermontel talks about, which means that our parasympathetic nervous system is activated. We're able to also meet each other at the human level, which is sometimes really hard. It truly is. It's easier to close the heart. I remember my Aikido teacher once saying before class that it's easy to be clever. It's much harder to be loving and caring. Mm. And so bringing that element is the gold and kintsugi means to mend with gold. So in that tradition, when a vase or an item is broken, it's not discarded and thrown away, but it is fixed and mended using gold in the seams. So that's the invitation um, of this book and um, kind of the uh, the circle closing as far as for the PhD research for me. So I'm going into new uh, research topics now, but that was the main and the biggest outcome of that is that Sisu is great, but um, gentleness and gentle power is greatness. I would say that. Wow. Well, this has been uh, excellent and fascinating and very insightful. I want to thank you, uh, Elizabeth, for your for your time. For those of uh, the people in our audience that want to learn more about Sisu Gentle Power, um, how can they learn more? How do they get in touch? Uh, could you mm. elaborate on that? Yeah, just um, sisulab.com. Everything is there. So. All right. Fascinating. <laughs> thank you so much for your time. Thank you. That's it for this episode of the Operations Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, Gotham Basu. 
If you like what you're listening to with this podcast series, then please hit subscribe. And until next time.